started very, very early, right when he was 18 years old, set up uh, 600,000 bucks or about that much into his management fund and then raised a separate, obviously, fund for the actual investment, 6 million bucks there, performing well. We'll see what he does over the next five years. This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit sold mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. This is episode 756. Coming up tomorrow morning, Emily joins us. She launched a $20 million cannabis VC firm after her parents passed away. So what's the connection? Hello, everybody. My guest today is Julian Marchese. I was introduced to him by a mutual friend, but he is the CEO and portfolio manager at Marchese Investments in New York, or Marchese Investments in New York City. Now, the background of his story, we'll get it right, Julian, right? We'll get it right. The best part about of his story, though, he's only 21 years old. He's been featured on Bloom. CNBC and the hit TV show Dragon's Den, which is basically Shark Tank in Canada, where he managed to get four out of five dragons uh, in the den to show interest. In 2016, he raised $5 million for his hedge fund. So we're going to dive into that today. Obviously, see where his brain's at. It'll be a lot of fun. All right, uh, Julian, are you ready to take us to the top? Yes, for sure, Nathan. Uh, Thanks for having me on the show. Of course, like most people that graduate college, they're thinking about landing their first $60,000 per year job somewhere very safe. You do the opposite. Uh, Why go into uh, kind of the hedge fund world? Why go into the hedge fund world? Well, I mean, it's just my passion. It's what I wanted to do since I was like 12 or 13, basically. Uh, When I was 11, I found out about the world of investing. Um, My parents had always taught me earlier on to you know, that wealth equals freedom in, in our society. And so I did all the traditional, you know, lemonade stands, uh, you know, backyard fairs, and I, w- I would make some money and I'd go, well, what do I do with this money, right? Um, and so just a few Googles when I was 10 and 11, investing came up. I happened to watch the movie Trading Places. I don't know if you've seen that that, that flick, but at the end of that, of that movie, they show in the early 80s the, the floor of the New York Board of Trade where they were trading gold, silver, orange juice futures. And after I saw that scene, I was like, I, I have to do this stuff. Whatever they're doing, I want to do. Um, so basically, yeah, since a very early age, I, I immersed myself in the world of, of hedge funds and trading, um, and uh, I've never looked back. So the moment I turned 18, I was like, let's start it. Let's start a firm. I started my firm. Why did you wait until you were 18? Legality. I can't manage other people's money until until I was obviously of legal, of legal age. Um, so, yeah. Got it. And then, so walk me through, someone with your background, obviously, you're just coming out of school, you're 18. Uh, how do you raise kind of your first dollar of capital and what have you raised uh, to date? So, you know, I've been lucky enough to have been building a media presence and a brand from a very early point, right? So when I was 11 and I first got into it, uh, I took a, a course in Toronto, where I'm from, Canada, Toronto. Um, and basically there was some media there of the Toronto Star, which is one of our biggest newspapers. Um, you know, and they saw this, this young kid amongst, you know, 40 and 50 year olds learning about trading. Uh, and so, you know, uh, this lady walked up to me, started talking with me a little bit and they decided to do a story. And really from that point on, uh, the media just sort of fell into place, you know, um, I, I didn't really sought after it, but it, it just sort of came to me. 
Um, and that's really what's helped me propel my business initially, um, because my first few investors were just people that you know saw an article on Business Insider or saw one of my interviews and said, "Hey, that's a really great story. I'd love to learn more about what you do." And then you know, one thing leads to a meeting, and then a meeting leads to an investment. And, and yeah, that's so. That's, what are you showing? Uh, so let's say let's role play for a second. I, I see. I just saw you. Sure. I saw read you on Business Insider. I find your email online somewhere. I send you an email and say, hey, I'd love to learn more. What do you reply with in that email? Okay, so, well, I'll, I'll just tell you the story of how, how it all began. I, there was a lady um, back, this, this must have been four years ago, yeah, in 2013. What was her name? Uh, I just started a, a club called Leaders Investment Club. Uh, her name is Lorena. Okay. Um, I just started a club called Leaders Investment Club, and Lorena had a, a it's a club basically for, for younger people really interested in investing and trading like I am. So I wanted to build a little community and network basically of, of, of like-minded individuals with a, an end goal of promoting financial literacy for, you know, for, for all young people. Anyways, this lady emails me because she really wanted her daughter to be in Leaders Investment Club. Uh, and she, you know, she was a teenager herself trying to get into, into investing. And so she sent me this, you know, uh, very thoughtful, long, long email message, you know, explaining how, you know, she's read my story and she really wants her daughter to be associated with, with the club. And, you know, she happened to be in Toronto. I, I met up with her uh, and her daughter. Um, and back then I was like, you know, 16. So my parents were <laughs> my parents were also with me at the time. I didn't have my, my license to drive yet. Um, and basically, two years later, we, I, I maintained that relationship, um, and she invested $75,000 for 1% of my management company. So, you know, I was able to get a really good valuation, of course, on just, you know, founding my hedge fund. Um, and it all came from just, you know, one email for, for, for something totally different. And how right? much have you raised to date for that management company? So the management company, I've raised $675,000 at about an average valuation of like $4 million. Um, and so I've raised about $5 million into a separately managed account uh, program uh, at this point. But we're looking to launch a fund later this year. Well, September. what are the differences between that management company that you raised six hundred dollars for and the, the other thing that you raised $5 million for? So, you know, traditionally, if you look at a hedge fund, it's multiple entities, right? You, there's an LP, a GP, and, a, and the management company. The LP is the fund with which all the investors invest in, and then uh, the LP hires the management company to, to manage its assets. And then yeah, the an, LP, LP is an LP is limited partner, and, G and yeah. yeah. GP is the general partner, which all the profits flow to and all the management fees flow to the management company. And so, you know, people, whenever they're investing in the, in, in what I'm talking about, that 675,000, that's all operating capital to be spent, right? That's not, that's not in the fund. Um, so Do you pay yourself a fee on that GP. though? Pardon me? Do you pay yourself like a, like that 675,000 when you say operations costs, like what is your, I imagine what, like, do you pay yourself a salary out of that? Yeah, that that would include salary, but I mean, you know, initially I'm not I'm not looking other than paying my bare living expenses. That's that's about it. What is that in New York? I'm curious. What have you been able to manage like your expenses to? It's about you know it's expensive. It's New York City, so it's twenty five hundred three thousand bucks a month. Yep. Around there. And then what yeah. are your other big costs? And just in the only on the management company side. 
A management company side, you know, there's, there's, it really depends on what stage you're at. You know, right now, my biggest costs are, are, you know, administration, accounting, tax. Usually, once, once we grow and we build an institutional team, most of the costs are just salaries because all the entire value of a, of a hedge fund is basically intellectual property and, and human capital, right? How, so, how does that um, first that's, lady that's really put in that 75 grand, though, and everyone else that then put in up to about 600K in the management company, like, how do they get a return on that money because i mean do you sell a management company they can they i mean uh it's very possible that down the road you know as as, as the fund grows obviously the management company will have a, a larger enterprise value um and and they would be free to sell it of course with my permission um but really what they're tr what they're making money from is their gp interests so when, let's say down the road, we're managing a billion dollars and we make 20% in a year, that's 200 million. We take a 20% performance fee, let's just say, uh, to make it real simple, that's 40 million. If they own, you know, 1% of that 40 million, uh, that's, that's 400K. Got right? it. You're, so you're, actually paying, you're actually paying that out to yourself and to anyone else who owns equity in the management yeah, company. So... so Hedge funds have two fees. They have two. The traditional fee structure is two and twenty. So a two percent management fee. So basically, two percent of all assets every year. That goes to paying down salaries uh, and 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 just uh, operational costs. And then the twenty percent performance fee, which is totally based off of performance, uh, that goes to to the shareholders and the portfolio managers as bonus, effectively. Got it. Okay, let's switch over to the six million dollar side. How did you raise that capital at such a young age? Um, value generation. So I've been managing money since October of 2015. I'm up about 28% since then um, with uh, an uncorrelated return stream. So not only have I been able to uh, just about beat market returns over that period, and the market's just been going up and up and up, obviously, uh, but we've also done it in an uncorrelated fashion. So our best months over this period happened to be months where the market was actually down. Mm -hmm. So I, I run a quant multi-strategy uh, shop. It's the, we're not buying and holding. We're on average holding positions for you know uh, three days, four days. So we're in and out. We're looking. So tell me, tell me about the last deal uh, you did. Pardon me. Tell me about the last deal you did. Uh, so the last deal was an institutional uh, money manager, basically a multi multi manager platform. So they they run about two hundred and fifty million, and they split that capital across many emerging managers like me. So uh, emerging managers are basically anyone under like fifty million in assets under management. Um, because obviously the hedge funds industry is really big. Three trillion Wait, Julian, dollars. sorry. I think I asked the yeah. wrong question. Of that six million, like, tell me about the last time you took a chunk of that and put it in another company and got a return. Oh, okay. So again, like the type of what I'm doing is not traditional investing, right? I'm literally the positions I have on right now today look very different next I, week. I understand that, that but i want to really get like real and understand what it looks like so can you i mean tell me the story one that you if can you share my, publicly if you want my, like my largest positions like what i'm what i'm doing in the fund just first. tell a story of one investment you made so my audience can understand how it works okay uh see this is gonna be a little tricky because it's it's a little, it's I'm not doing anything traditional. People, people would have to have a little bit of a do your best understanding. Look, the most brilliant um, people can explain very complex things very simply. So do your best. Sure. So basically, there's volatility, right? We're able to trade volatility. Um, you know, the 
we're able to bet on how much the market is going to move up or down. Um, and systematically, over um, if you sell volatility, so m most people buy volatility, expect volatility to increase as sort of like a hedge, right? Most people are invested in the stock market, and um, you know they want the stock market to go up, they want stocks to go up, and so they want some kind of protection if the stock market goes down. Think insurance, basically. Mm -hmm. So what one of the strategies we we run, and it's actually our second largest strategy is basically systematically selling insurance to those market participants that are, uh, you know, really long and, and, and want the market to go up. So that, you know, when, when a crash does happen, we are going to have to pay out sometimes, but there's a really big premium over time of shorting that volatility. And you're, you're basically, you're, you, you can beat the market just because of that, that insurance premium. Mm -hmm. So if I put a million buck, if I, of the 6 million you raised, if I was a million of that, and I guess that was what, two years ago you raised that or a year ago? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if I was a million of that, like when do I actually start seeing money coming back into my bank account? Um, that's up to you. It's real. We really have monthly liquidity at this point, so you can invest come out uh, basically at the end of the month with a month uh, notice but but um, like how to, so again I, let's say i put a million in and then i do i want to take that million out a year later what additional upside do i get like what else do i take out to make it worth that investment are, are you asking like what our average annual return is basically no i'm i, I that's a, that would be the term in your world i want to actually make it real though so if i put a million bucks in and a year you're in your year right when you started and i decided hey julian i want to take a million out at if the you put end a million, if you, i'll answer it simply if you put a million if you put a million dollars in when we started in october of 2015 uh, today you'd have about a million two hundred thousand and I could yeah. take, I could, I would and take out take, that. You could take that out totally if you want. Yeah. Okay. Or I could just take a million out just so I'm back to playing with, you know, you know, casino money and leave the 200 grand that you've yeah, made me in. Totally. And yeah. you know, right now, since we're doing separately managed accounts, we do have some flexibility in that we can tailor um, individual clients. Like we, we, we can basically say, Hey, if you want to manage 200,000, traditionally, we're trying to make you, you know, 15% to 20% a year. But, you know, if you want to take bigger risks, we can, you know, ramp that up to 40 percent, 50 percent, as long as you're obviously comfortable with the, with the volatility associated. Mm -hmm. um, so what are you most concerned about? Like like the hedge funds go under all the time. Why do they go under? And like, what are you constantly worried about? That's a good question. I mean, I don't I personally don't worry too, too much about like macro events like most hedge funds do. Right. A lot of hedge funds, when they blow up or what you hear about. Right. That's 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 also media. Right. Most hedge funds, of course, don't blow up. Um, these are sophisticated you know, investment vehicles. But, um, you know, that, they're usually caused by some kind of systemic event like a, the stock market crashing or a Brexit or, or one of those things. Those aren't the things I, I really worry about. Um, I worry more so about the uh, the process, my investment process, and how I develop individual systematic strategies. Because the real risk to what I'm doing is if I got something wrong in the in the analysis process that um, you know basically met, means that my my system doesn't have any any statistical validity like I thought it did. Um, and that would obviously reflect in, in negative returns. Um, and, and it's really difficult to sort of uh, be able to tell. And it's a bit of an art to, to be able to tell when, you know, a certain strategy 
um, isn't doing so hot um, because strategies are cyclical, right? They, they make money, they lose money. Over time, obviously, you have some kind of positive expectancy. Um, but it's being able to maneuver around, uh, you know, the negative periods that are really important. And we have a real big advantage over that being a multi-strategy fund because each individual strategy doesn't really have too, too much exposure. Think mm -hmm. diversification, right? We take diversification to, to a real Yeah, but I, I feel like, I mean, this is like a pitch that you'd hear from a lot of different hedge funds that are raising capital. They still, many of them go under. In fact, there's probably media bias towards the successful ones. We hear more about the successful ones than you read about the ones that have all gone under. It's called success bias. So like you haven't answered my question, which is like, what would put you, what would make your hedge fund basically go bankrupt, go out of business? What is, what is your biggest risk like specifically? A statistical anomaly, and again, it's the same answer. Uh, it's not a macro event for us. We don't have beta exposure most of the time. Beta exposure meaning market exposure. So the stock market crashing 10% tomorrow doesn't really affect us. If anything, we may make money off of a move like that. Yeah, but you, yeah, I was about to say, you told me you bet on volatility, and then you said you didn't care about something like Brexit. Well, that was like a great volatility moment. So I'm having troubles understanding. Like you're taking credit for volatility on the upside, but you're not, it, it, you're not our Articulating to me multi, what the downside multi is. Multi-strategy, multi-strategy. So none of our strategies are correlated with each other. That volatility strategy has a certain return stream where it makes money during certain times and loses money during different market environments. We tailor the portfolio in such a way that, cer that certain strategies will literally not have exposure when other strategies do, right? Mm -hmm. So if I build a system that trades oil on Mondays intraday, and I have another system that trades gold on Thursdays, there's no way for them to both lose at the same time, literally, mm -hmm. right? And so really the main risk is if I just built these strategies incorrectly, uh, with which they all just start losing money at separate times to, uh, uh, over time. Mm -hmm. But there's no one event, right? Like Brexit, yeah, it could affect our um, that volatility strategy, but it's a selective strategy. It's not always in the market, right? We may be in 30% of the time. So it really depends. It makes on, me really suspicious. It makes me really suspicious when you can't give me a scenario where you tell me where you wouldn't perform like better than the stock market. Either it tells me like you haven't thought about it, or like you just don't want to show those cards. They're, like this happens all the time, where 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 hedge funds earn way less than than the market, and they have these these you know you know they articulate it just the way that you did. So are you saying? I mean, let I, me I see. don't think so. No, that's that's not true. We're, so you're I saying guess, if we put your money with you, listen, there's listen, no listen. way. No, Julian. If Nathan. you say if I put my money with you, there's no way I'm going to lose money. That's basically what that's you're not saying. What I said. That's, okay, that's so not tell me exactly how I would lose money. That's what's going to give me confidence. I'm going to say, oh, Julian totally understands his risk. I, I, I literally told you. You said I, if I, I put money, you, you said my strategies. You said your strategies are multivariant, and there's no way because of your structure that one will affect the other. So they're diversified, and you basically Correct. said there's no way you can lose money doing this. That's not what I said. So tell I me how you would lose money. Listen, there's no systemic events that should be able to affect the entirety of our portfolio, right? So the main risks to us are not macro events like a stock market crashing or a fixed income event. It's more of a statistical anomaly over time. So just so give me like give me a real example of that. Yeah, no, 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 Julian, I want to stop you there because that's where I misunderstand you because I'm just not as sophisticated as you. Give me a real example of what you just said. The risk, like like something actually happening in the world, not not the term for statistical analogy, but an actual example of what might happen that could be a statistical, you know, you know, something different you didn't predict. I'm not trying to predict. 
uh, I'm, I'm looking at, at, at odds here. So we're trying to make money on 53, 55, 56% of our trades. We make thousands of trades a year. Um, again, we, we never have beta exposure or we, we try and limit our beta exposure and beta just means market exposure. So we may be long and short, that way we're, we're hedging out our, our market risk. And so again, in, in, in reality, our risks are very, uh, are very circumstantial, are very context specific. Um, and and it would depend on on a confluence of all of our strategies, you know, firing at once, basically in one single market, for us to really have any kind of exposure. But again, we we design it so so that that's not the case. The real risk to our to our our type of um, our, our procedure is basically if we've gotten the the alpha development incorrectly. So if we have an idea of why a strategy should work. Let's say we believe that, uh, again, oil goes up statistically on Mondays, much more so than Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, or Fridays. You know, right off the bat, you can see what, why that may not be a really valid system, because we don't have uh, any fundamental reasoning as to why you know, oil should go up on Mondays. But again, let's just say the data was convincing enough that we, we decided to deploy some capital to that. Again, the risk is, is that we just found a statistical anomaly that had no actual validity behind it and no predictability in the future. That is the risk, right? It's not individual systemic events. Got it. All I right, can't, Julian, can't let's name you like a a because I don't know what my my positioning will be in two months or in four months. It is completely context specific. Many of you listening right now don't have time to listen to every B2B SaaS CEO that I've interviewed. If you want to get access to the database I've created with year-over-year -year growth rates, customer accounts, margins, and many, many other data metrics and data points, you can go to getlatka.com. Here's the thing though, this that database, I keep it to myself. It's so freaking valuable. And to preserve the quality of the data and make sure that the people that have access to it have a true advantage, I'm only letting 10 companies on each month. So we're folding this month, but you can go to getlatka.com to get on the waiting list for next month. And look, there's big people on the waiting list. I mean, the biggest VCs you've ever heard of. You've probably heard of them. They're big, private equity, billions and billions under management. So it's an impressive waiting list. Go get on now at getlatka.com. Guys, I get asked all the time, Nathan, you host all these interviews, hundreds of them per month. How do you do them efficiently? And guys, the answer is simple. People always agree to my calendar, back-to-back -back meetings. I batch my interviews to stay very efficient. And the way that I do it is I use a tool called Acuity Scheduling at nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. And the reason I use them is very simple. They keep my no-show rate very low because they send out reminders about when the interview or the meeting is coming up. And also, they make it very easy to schedule time, right? I don't have to go back and forth via email 10,000 times with people I'm trying to meet with. Okay, at nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. It helps me so much. And by the way, look, I like have so many meetings. I'm the best at meetings, okay? I do them back to back, very, very efficient. You guys know me. Many people say I'm the most efficient they've ever seen. Okay, so I use the tool, it's so efficient. And by the way, I got Gavin, I said, Gavin, he's the CEO. I said, I want a great deal for my people. He said, Nathan, well, most people get a 14-day trial. Isn't that great? I said, no. He's giving us a 45-day free trial at nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. That's not going to stay up forever, so go get it now. nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. Great. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Favorite business book, uh, Market Wizards. Number two, is there a CEO that you're following or studying? 
Uh, Paul Tudor Jones. Number three, is there a favorite online tool you have, like Acuity Scheduling? Sure, quantocracy.com. Uh, and what is that, just quickly, what does that do? Basically, it's a blog role for all the quant blogs out there. Um, so it just gives it to you all in one place. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? About six to seven. All right, that's pretty good. And what's your situation? Yeah, Married, single, do you have kids? Single. <laughs> no, and no kids, right? Yeah. 21 in 20 days, so all right. well, less than that now. And so. then take take us back, take us back 11 year old, 10 years to your 10 year old self. What do you wish he knew? What do I wish she knew? Multi-strategy. Um, basically, I 100% believe that my mandate being a multi-strategy fund is, uh, it, it just is the most conducive uh, structure for, for, for you know, performing risk-adjusted returns because you have the, the most flexibility and diversification you possibly can. Um, so it was really when I was 14 or 15 when I had that eureka moment. Oh, I can start using machines and, and automation to effectively allow me to do multi-strategy on such such a scale. Because uh, you can only a human can only run two or three strategies being focused in on it. Um, but to run 20 or 30, that that takes automation. So it, you know, if I could if I could talk to my 10 or 11 year old self, I'd really try and get into. Uh, to learn programming from that early age uh, because that that is really the the most practical skill you can have in this industry because like most industries we are going the way of the quants we are going automated so it's just a matter of time there you guys have it from julian marquise he started very very early right when he was 18 years old set up uh, 600 bucks or about that much into his management fund and then raised a separate obviously fund for the actual investment six million bucks there performing well we'll see what he does over the next five years julian we'll check in again later but thank you for taking us to the top Thanks, Nathan. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed Julian today, go back and listen to Tom yesterday. If you want to invest in Bitcoin but don't understand it, you want to make sure you go listen to that episode.